So here we are, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for the past several weeks together. And just as a way of recap, um, the first weekend we asked the question just who is this Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit of God? And we walked away making the statement that the Holy Spirit is a person. Very simply, we refer to the Holy Spirit as He not it. And then the second part of that, that message, was that the Holy Spirit is God, and He is God just as much as Yahweh, the Father, is God, just as much as Jesus, the Son, is God. The next week, we took a deep dive into the Old Testament, which was fascinating to look at how the Holy Spirit operated, what He was up to in the days before the coming of Christ, really before uh, the day of Pentecost, um, and the Holy Spirit, we said, in the Old Testament was on people, but now, in this present day, for those who are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in people. But the main thing that we saw the Holy Spirit up to in the Old Testament days was regeneration, just as He is in the New Testament. We then looked in the book of John, and we looked at how the Holy Spirit makes new. New life, new people. That's where we are so far, so if you missed out on any of those weeks, you can, of course, go back and listen to one of those messages um, if you so choose. Well, today we're looking at this phrase. It's very common uh, in the church, but often not looked at um, in, in context, and here's the phrase, walking by the Spirit. We, we know the phrase walking by the Spirit, but it is one of those phrases that, that is sort of Christian-y in its language. Um, and so we're going to discuss today not only what does it mean, but how do we do that? What, why, is that why is that important? And how do we make that, that practical? So I'm going to invite you to turn to two places in your copy of the Scriptures. The first one is the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And then I also want you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament book of Galatians. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're going to start with the passage in Jeremiah. I'm going to read you a couple verses. And we're going to talk about those for a little bit. Then we're going to relate those to what the New Testament has to say to us about walking in the Spirit. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11 is where we're going to read. Now, what we're going to read, the prophet Jeremiah is going to make an indictment against the people of God. God is charging the people of Israel with an egregious and unthinkable sin. It's almost unimaginable for people who say they are God's people to do what God's people did here. And here's what they did. They abandoned God and they walked Away. Now, the comparison that we're making is you say, well, that was for the people of Israel. And we're not the people of Israel. No, we're not the people of Israel. But here is, here is the similarity, okay? The people of Israel had special, unique relationship with God in the Old Testament. And you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have special, unique relationship with God in these days. So some of the things that he says to the people of Israel in the book of Jeremiah, are equally applicable to us today who are in relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And so let's read this passage together and see what the Lord might have to say to us who are followers of Jesus. 
Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Has a nation changed its gods? Now, we're, we're not talking about a nation here. All right, we're Old Testament, we're talking about a nation. So just to be clear, we're not talking to a nation. We're not talking about the United States of America here. We're talking about the church. We're talking about followers of Jesus. Have the people of God, okay? People of God has always been the church since Pentecost. Okay, that's who we're talking about here. Has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? He said, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Then he says, be appalled, O heavens. At this, be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Now, I, I'm a simple person. And so when things are made simple, I appreciate it. I, I, I just, I want to know. All right, make it clear to me. And God makes it clear to the people of Israel here. He says, you've done two things. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, God people, God's people had tried to substitute someone or something for God. But my people, he says, have changed their glory. What was their glory? What was their glory? Their glory was their father in heaven. It, it's not a glory of their own making. This is also a reference to God himself. But my people have changed their glory for what? Which does not profit. So he says, be appalled, O heavens, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. In other words, he's, he's saying, this is a really, really big deal. When we trade away the glory of God for anything, it will be a lesser thing because everything is lesser than God's glory. Amen? There's nothing as good as this. Nothing comes even close to the glory of God. So every substitute, no matter how wonderful it is, everything that I could come up with in my life, everything the nation of Israel could come up with, every program a church might come up with, it's going to be less than the glory of God. God's glory is supreme. We live for the glory of God. So heavens be shocked at this. This is, this is huge. This insanity for my people have committed two evils. And he lays it out very clearly. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've forsaken me. They've turned their back on me. The fountain of living waters. The only place that sustenance and life comes from, the fountain of living waters. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first sin. Here's the second sin. They have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that cannot hold no, that cannot hold water. So two folds in here. Number one, they turn their backs on God. The second sin is like it. They've created other gods. Well, it didn't say anything about creating other gods. It did. They're trying to substitute for God, and whatever we put in God's place is a god to us. Right? The human heart is an expert at idol making, yours and mine included. We take good things and we make them God things in our lives. We try to get value from them. We try to get them to fill in broken places in our lives, and only the Lord can do that. So, so Christians, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? It's just this, okay? We Christ followers today have a choice. We, like Israel, can choose to live in a way that brings us under the provision, the blessing, the fruitfulness of that abundant life that is only found in and through Jesus, or we can do as Israel did, and we can sin, 
and forsake that life-giving, abundant life that's talked about in John 15, being a part of the vine who gives us life. Now, Jeremiah's audience would have understood the comparison that God was making when he talked about these cisterns. A, A cistern, some of you may be familiar with this, but a cistern, especially in the Middle East, and especially in these days, would have been a large hole that was dug out of the ground, okay? And the, the bedrock in the Holy Land, anybody know what kind of rock we, we'd be talking about over there? Limestone. Somebody tell me something about limestone. Got any amateur geologists in the room? Tell me something about limestone. It's soft and porous. Now, does limestone, would you think that limestone would make for a good vessel to hold water? No, it would not. Why? Because water would go in, it might stay there for a moment, but it's going to leach out very, very quickly. Do you see it? Okay, so so they're hewing out cisterns for themselves, right? But he said broken cisterns. Well, how are they broken? Well, after a cistern would be dug, and sometimes it would be dug in a naturally low place in the ground, but they'd go in and they'd excavate and they'd dig out a cistern. It would sort of look like a big vase in the ground. Okay, but then they would come in after that because limestone is porous, and so they would take plaster. And they would plaster the bottom of that cistern, the walls of that cistern, so now when you pour water in, you have a less permeable surface to hold the water. And so what God is charging the people with is, you guys, you guys hewed out cisterns for yourself, you plastered over them, but what would happen in the hot desert heat to plaster after a while is what? I don't have to explain this to you. You can just guess. It's going to dry out and crack and be broken. And then you're back in the same place that you were to start with. You have a cistern that is cracked and broken, and it won't hold the very thing that you desperately need for survival. Water. It, 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 it's just the sort of picture we sort of need if we're going to understand. God's charge against the people of Israel is that they've neglected one thing, and here's the one thing that they've neglected, a spring of living water. So if you have the choice between a a fresh water spring in the desert of living water that is bubbling up, providing a life to all who will drink of it, or a hole that you've dug in the ground that is broken and will not hold water, which one makes more sense to attach your life to? And so as this is said to the people of God, they they see it, they understand it. So after this plaster is poured, hot desert sun, eventually the plaster is going to dry and it's going to crack and, and the water seeps out. And this, the phrase, you've heard it, that bucket won't what? That bucket won't hold any water. This bucket would not hold any water. So the picture, the, the well, it, it won't hold. And, and so what the Lord is saying to them is, number one, you neglected the fresh spring. Number two, you try to substitute it with something that's a very, very, very poor substitute for fresh living water. You've neglected it. Sin of omission. Sin of commission is this. You thought you could replace me with your own work. You thought 
what you could do is plaster over the broken places. You thought you could go in and mud over those holes in your life and cover those up. You thought you could do this thing on your own and plaster over all of the places that, that, that are letting seepage take place in your life. And every single one of us, when we really think about it, can relate to this. We've gone to other sources for water, haven't we? Every one of us have. Every one of us. Every, every Christian has gone to another source for water. Every person. We've tried to draw water from the well of our relationships only to find out that's dry. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't sustain life. We've gone to our career and we've tried, to, we've tried to draw water from our career and value and meaning only to find it. it's not holding anything that I need to live. It's not filling me up. But watch. We've tried to depend on our children for living water. Parents, hear me. Grandparents, hear me. We thought they could fill us up and give us the value we needed in our lives to make us whole. It's all plaster. It's all plaster. Like I, I look and I just observe. And I'm not for one moment standing up here as a dad or as a husband that says, I've got it all figured out. I'm just saying as an observer of culture, as an observer of Christian culture, I watch as moms and dads exhaust themselves trying to live vicariously through their children. Let me just tell you what your kids desperately need more than anything else is a mom and a dad who are desperate for the living water. Otherwise, we're running around with a bucket of plaster. And it runs out, and it cracks, and then what are, we what are we left with? What are we left with? What are we left with? Some of you have dealt with this. What are we left with when the kids leave the house? We're sitting around looking at each other and saying, I was getting all my value out of them for the last 20-plus years. Now they're gone, and you look across the table at your spouse, and you say, I don't even know what to do anymore. Because I tried to get my value over there. Do you see it? This is, this is the same thing that the nation of Israel did. It just looks different for us today. We thought this stuff could fill us up. And you know what? It did. It did for a while. We were content. We were even happy. We had some fulfillment. But eventually we noticed that life is not what it was. And those things that could fill us up once upon a time no longer can. And there's a leak. So we'll throw some more plaster over it. We try and make it work. We try and make those things, force those things, our spouses, our children, our jobs, our hobbies. We try to make them to fill us up. All good things the Lord has given us, but not meant to be the well of our lives. So we all, as followers of Jesus, remember, we're not studying geology in Israel today. We're studying the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not, we're, we're not, this is all to a point, believer, okay? And the point is this, today, we all live, every single one of us, we live in the flesh, 
You have a flesh, you live in the flesh. And so we struggle with the desires of the flesh. And we will struggle with the desires of our mortal bodies, our flesh, until the day that we see Jesus face to face for the very first time. Right? When that happens, everything will be changed for us. But until then, there's some challenges that we have to deal with. Right? And the challenge is struggling with the flesh or our desires. And when we do so, we forsake the glory of God. We give into those desires of the flesh. We forsake the glory of God. We don't live under the umbrella of his blessing and his sustenance. We don't look to the living water, that fresh spring, that good stuff, but we go to our own broken cisterns. So however, even though we struggle with these desires of the flesh, we can, and here's the good news, like it's all been bad news up until now. Here's the good news. The good news is we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring these desires under the Holy Spirit's influence. And this is what we read about in our study in Galatians chapter 5. So starting in verse 16, we're just going to read, I'm just going to read you a verse and talk. And then at the end, we're going to talk through some application, how to make this actionable in our lives. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We want to be people who are going to the living water. Galatians 5 talks about how we really can do this. Verse 16, Paul says to us, But I say, say it with me. Here it is. Say it with me. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh that we talked about in Jeremiah. So every word here is specifically chosen, and it communicates a very, very powerful truth. And what Paul does not say here is that all of the sudden we come to faith in Christ Jesus, and, and and all of us who have been Christians for more than about three seconds understand the reality of this truth. Paul doesn't say when we come to faith in Jesus, we will no longer struggle with the desires of the flesh. So let's just get real with each other for a moment. How many in the room have been a follower of Jesus for more than 10 years? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand, been a follower for, leave your hands up, okay? More than 10 years, okay? You've been a follower of Jesus. How many of you, oh, put, leave your hand up, come on, come on. Help me, help me. How many of us who have been followers of Jesus for more than 10 years still at times struggle with the desires of the flesh? I'll put up two hands. Do you see it? Now look around the room. You are like everybody else. When we can put your hands down. When we come to faith in Jesus, the desires of the flesh are not automatically killed and no more. Do you see it? Paul's not saying that here. Okay, Paul is not saying when we come to faith in Jesus, we no longer struggle with the desires of the flesh. What he's saying is if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, you will struggle with the desires of the flesh. And if you're in the room and you say, I don't, then I expect you to take me out to lunch because I want to hear all about how you got there. I want to hear, I, I, I mean this, I'm not saying this is a joke. Like if, if, you've, if you've gotten there and you're like, nothing bothers me anymore. Like you... You need to come, teach me, and then you probably finish this series for us, okay? He says, and you will not, according to Paul, you can learn not to do what? But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not, what's the word? Gratify. The desire of the flesh is still there, Paul says, but when we walk by the Spirit, we'll no longer 
gratify it. Uh, we'll no longer give in to it or feed it. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh, watch this, are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things, this is a strange phrase, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I love that phrase, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul unpacks this big time in Romans chapter 7. If you've never done a deep dive in Romans chapter 7, it's an amazing passage. It is an amazing passage. And when you are struggling with the desires of the flesh, read Romans chapter 7, and you will read, you will hear from who I would probably say the greatest Christian that has ever lived. Right? The one that he walked probably more closely maybe with anybody. And he writes a whole chapter in the greatest theological work possibly that's ever been written, the book of Romans. And he says, I get it. I struggle big time. In, in the end of Romans chapter 7, I love this. He says, woe is me, who will set me free from the body of this death? Like, and you just... After you've read the chapter, you just hear Paul in anguish. He's like, who's going who's gonna to set me free? I'm struggling. Boy, and then this beautiful declaration, praise be to God. And then he starts Romans chapter 8 with verse 1. You know Romans chapter 8, verse 1? Do you know it? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Look. Desires of the flesh, the struggle. The struggle remains, but victory is possible is what Paul is teaching us here. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And here's what you're going to walk away knowing, that, 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 that it is possible to begin to walk by the spirit and walk in victory over the desires of the flesh. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability within myself to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want. And I read that, and I'm like, Paul, are you like spying on me? Like, I, I don't do the good that I want. Sometimes you feel like you, you really want to do the right thing. And then you're like, Man, I did it again. But I didn't want to do that. But sometimes I am like a, a piece of metal drawn to a strong magnet to doing the very wrong that I don't want to do. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I want, it's important. But if I do what I want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I don't know why I can't do right when I want to do right, but it seems that I keep doing the very thing that I don't want to do. And I really, really don't want to do it. Why? Why do I keep doing this? Well, he's a follower of Jesus. And, and, and for Paul, we know it's recorded in Scripture. As a follower of Jesus, there was a very definite moment in time where he changed from one thing to another thing. You with me? Hey, if you're in the room a moment ago and you raised your hand, like I've been a follower of Jesus for more than 10 years, or if I, if I asked another question, is this, 
Who in here is a follower of Jesus? And if you would raise your hand to that question, you stopped being one thing and you started being another thing. So you're in this group with Paul. And so what Paul says here, it, it applies to your life as well. You are in Christ. And what Paul says, it's no longer, when you, when you mess up, it's no longer you in this way who's doing it. Why? Because you are now a saint of God. You are holy and set apart. You're telling, me, you're telling me it wasn't me that lost my temper, yelled at my kids? It wasn't me that, that when somebody cut me off in traffic, I yelled something out the window that I'm glad no video cameras are around to record? That wasn't me that did that? Like, don't try to... Say that to the officer that might pull you over. That wasn't me. He's like, I saw you. Well, in a way, it wasn't you. What Paul's saying is that's, that's not the real you. That's the old you, but you're not the old you anymore. You're the new you. So who did it? It's the sin that still lives there. It's the flesh. It's the old part of us that's dying and decaying and wasting away, but sometimes it doesn't realize it's dying and decaying and wasting away. Sometimes the flesh feels strong. Sometimes the flesh feels, strong, feels stronger than the spirit. Before Christ, that's the only will that you had. The only will you had before Jesus was to sin. You didn't have really the desire to please God, to live a life of faith. And everything that's not done in faith is sin according to God. Before Christ, you didn't have the desire. Now you have the desire. That's who you were. That's not who you are. The problem we have is we often act like who we were instead of who we are, and we rarely remember who we're becoming. You with me? And when I forget who I am and I start to act like who I was and I don't have my eyes on who I'm becoming, I give in to the desires of the flesh. Over and over, repeatedly, over and over and over. Paul continues in verse 18 of Galatians 5, and he's going to give us a list here. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Are they? Well, let's find out. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Like he starts with things that we're like, oh yeah, those are obvious. I know those when I see those in other people. But then it keeps working on church folks, right? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Like all things that are common. Look, gang, I leave right after church to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. And everything he just mentioned here, I, I will be present there. Why? These are sanitized sins. But he has them buried right here in this list because the next thing he says are orgies and things like these, right? And Paul just says these are all level playing field here. They're all just as disgusting and evil. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just lean into this. Look at this. It's a crazy list. If we're honest, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strength, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's a pretty bad list, if we're honest. This is not a good list. It's not a good list that you want to be mixed up in. Uh, this is not, most of these, a list 
of things, of sins that most Christians, you know, willingly admit in a prayer circle. Like, I really doubt in Sunday school this morning when prayer requests were going around, um, I, you know, somebody, you know, if, we're, if we have a lesson on sin and temptation, somebody might say, oh, pray for me. Guys, pray for me. I'm really struggling with my pride. Really struggling with pride. Or, oh, my temper. I'm just, I'm losing my temper a lot. Um, but most often, those are the things that we'll readily admit to other believers. And most of the time, nobody will readily admit, hey, I need some help. I'm struggling with pornography. I, I, I'm struggling with my addiction. I'm struggling with lust. And it's raging and it's seeking to take over my life. Because those are not as sanitized as the other. And Paul just opens up the whole list that would include pornography addiction. That would include illicit drug use. And Paul has no problem saying that the work of the flesh, yes, they include pride. They include divisions and dissensions and not getting along with one another. They include gossip. They include talking about people or things behind their back. But it includes the far hairier sounding stuff as well. And he's not scared to talk about that as many of us sometimes are. Now, here, here's the deal. This is by no means an exhaustive list, is it? Like you read that list, and if your thing's not on there, like your pet sin or the thing you struggle with is not on there, you don't get to pat yourself on the back and say, whoo, man, glad I don't struggle with that. It's not an exhaustive list. The works of the flesh are not limited to what we read in Galatians chapter 5. If we were really to compile a list of the favorite sins of every one of us in this room, it would no doubt include these. And yes, there would be people in here that if we we're all honest, struggle with many of the things on this list, but it would include far more. And what this list reveals to us is some of the most common works of the flesh that followers of Jesus continue to deal with and then oftentimes struggle with a long time after a new life in Jesus has come. But Paul gives us the flip side as well, and here's where the encouragement comes. When we do not, when we do not give in to our old desires, we find that walking according to the Spirit, it's, watch, I heard somebody say this once about something else. He said, it's, it's easy, but it's hard. I'm going to put it to you like this. It's simple, walk according to the Spirit. That's a simple thing to say, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So it can be challenged. When we walk according to the Spirit, we do not reflect these old things, the world's values, the values of the flesh, but rather we reflect an entirely different kind of life. And he goes on, he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who do such things continually um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is he saying? If you're a follower of Jesus, watch. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't live stuck in that, right? That's what he's, that's what he's really saying, that we should expect, watch me, we should expect, beloved, this is what you should expect in your Christian walk. You should expect, it's called faith. We should expect deliverance. But, but that means we should be, not that we won't struggle, but it means we should be gaining victory in our lives. Not, not, not sinless perfection. Right? There was one without sin, his name was Jesus. He's not you or me. But we should be gaining perfection. The longer we walk with Jesus, it's not all of a sudden, oh, I'm, I just I don't struggle anymore. 
right? But it should be the longer we walk with Jesus, we should, I do believe we should struggle differently. Should be gaining some victory in our lives. If not, if there's no gaining of victory, if there's no growing in Christ's likeness, then all we really were after was a free ticket to heaven and not becoming molded in the image of the Son of God, delivered from the domain of darkness, which we were all once a part of. Verse 22, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, what Paul does here is very peculiar and important. Paul changes terms on his readers here. I want you to notice this. This is very important. He goes from, remember what he called the things that were associated with the flesh? If you were to fill in the blanks and I were to say blank of the flesh, what would the word be there? Works of the flesh to blank of the spirit. What is it? From works of the flesh to fruit of the spirit. I believe this is important. But I want you to notice that the S there in spirit, is it lowercase or is it uppercase? Uppercase? It's uppercase. It's right. Now, what many of us have misunderstood for a long time is that the fruit of the Spirit in these things is the fruit of our spirit. That if you love Jesus a whole lot, then you are going to demonstrate these fruits of our spirit. But these are not the fruits of our spirit because you don't have a capital S spirit. You have a lowercase s spirit. Capital S refers to a name. This is the Holy Spirit. So these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. These are the things that he demonstrates. These are the things that come from his life. He has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But you know what you're called? A temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if these are his fruits, guess who gets the benefit? You do. And those around you get the benefit of the fruit of the Spirit's life in you, bubbling out of you, flowing out of you. Well, in view of what we've seen so far in the Scriptures, I think the reason that Paul differentiated between works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit is to avoid giving any impression uh, uh, that the Spirit, what the Spirit produces is our work. It's not our work. It's his work. It's his fruit. So what we do when we walk by the Spirit is simply, watch, fulfill the desires produced by the Spirit of God. What what does the Spirit of God desire? His fruit. So we're making decisions accordingly to the fruit of the Spirit. What are his desires in my life? Love, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. So let's just talk briefly about the benefits of walking with the Spirit. And we're going to talk about those together. What are some benefits that you can just think of really quickly? What's a benefit of walking in the Spirit in your life? What do you think? Peace? Absolutely. Pete, but let's just... Let's, We'll get to joy in a minute, but peace. What kind of, what's peace look like? Peace with God? Peace from God? Peace of God? And we get peace from God. We get peace with God. 
And we get the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Joy. Somebody said joy. We walk by the Spirit, you have joy. What does that mean? It means I'm not drinking from an old, crusty, cracked cistern that I'm drinking from living water over here. I've got joy, unexplainable joy. Bad things happen. I've still got a sense of joy in my life. I'm unaffected, so to speak, by the trials and tribulations that attack my life. I've got joy. What else? It's another benefit of walking by the Spirit. Self-control. My goodness. Is it ever? Like, why? Because he understands, and he's in, when he's in control, and we're yielding ourselves to his control, then I have self-control. Who's controlling myself? The Holy Spirit of God. Any, any others, real quick? Kindness, my goodness gracious. I've met some mean Christians. You have too. I hope you're not one. I hope I'm not one. What's a benefit we enjoy in walking by the Spirit? Kindness. Because I guarantee you, when you meet somebody that is a saint of the Lord and they're kind, you remember it, don't you? Kindness. These are the the benefits, the blessings that we get from walking by the Spirit. We're being led, okay? Look at this. This is good. Um, This is really good because I want to give you a word right here at the end uh, to make this actionable in your life. An acrostic. The acrostic, the letters will be up here, but if you're taking notes, the words won't. So you're going to have to write these down. The acrostic is the word walks. Walks. W-A-L-K-S. Walks. And so we're just going to give you, how, how, how do we walk by the Spirit? What are some steps that I can make a part of my daily life that will help me to walk by the Spirit? The first letter is W, and that stands for without. We get this from John chapter 15. Without me, you can do how much? You can do nothing. So the first step in walking with the Spirit is recognizing that without Him, we can do diddly. That means nothing. Can't do anything without him. If this the whole deal about abiding with Jesus in the vine in John chapter 15, you are the branches. Um, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first step in walking by the Spirit uh, and with the Spirit is to recognize, to realize that without Christ, we can do nothing. What, What happens when I realize that apart from Jesus, I can't do it? Creates a dependence in me. And it creates an appreciation, gratitude, thankfulness. A is for the word appeal, appeal. If you realize that apart from the Spirit's work in you, you can do nothing, then the only rational thing is people who claim to be followers of Jesus is to earnestly desire the Spirit to work in us, is to pray and beg the Father to do something. I can't. God, this is your desire, and you hear it in the words of Paul. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Well, what does he want to do? He wants to walk by the Spirit. He wants to please his heavenly Father. What do you want? What do you really, really want, believer? An appeal to God. I don't want to struggle with this and give into this the way that I have for so many years. Then appeal to your Father in heaven. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we don't ask in faith. Expect deliverance and appeal to your Father in heaven. 
This is daily, beloved. This is not a one-time thing. This is not, oh, I prayed years ago, uh, recognizing that I could do nothing. You can't come to faith in Jesus at all without recognizing you can do nothing. But it's the continual of recognition day by day that I need you. I desperately need you. The way we get in is the way we go on. Dependence on him, so appeal to him. The letter L is for lean, lean. Lean not on your what? So we trust. What does my own understanding say? Let me tell you what my own understanding says. My own understanding says when I fall into uh, the same sin that I'd struggled with before, when I give in to the works of the flesh, you know what my understanding says? You're not changed. You're lost. You don't even have the Holy Spirit. That's my own understanding. Those are the works of my flesh just plaguing me. Maybe I'm the only one. Right, but I, sometimes I get down on myself. Sometimes when I mess up, I get so down on myself. So I need to lean not on my understanding, but lean on his understanding. What does his understanding say? That those who are in Christ Jesus are brand new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So lean not on your own understanding. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. He's there and He's equipped you to live in a way that brings honor to Himself and then brings life to others. We gotta lean into that. Lean on depending on the Spirit. Friday, I had to go pick up a rental car. So driving to New Orleans. And I, I went to pick up this car. And you know, sometimes um I, let's be honest with you. I get I, sometimes I still get nervous about sharing my faith. You believe that? I've been a follower of Jesus since 1991, and sometimes I still get nervous. Sometimes I'll get in my head and I'll, I'll think, "Man, you're going to do it wrong. You're going to say something dumb." Um, but while I walked into Enterprise Rent a Car, and I, and I just knew, like even before I got up to the counter, I was like, "I was supposed to talk to this guy about Jesus today," and I was so grateful to hear from the Holy Spirit you know, in that moment. But I was like, really? You know, well, I got these two, three minutes together. Really? But, you know, I tried to be obedient, which I, I don't always get right either. Sometimes I get, I get nervous and, and, and I miss the opportunity. Then I get down on myself. But on Friday, I walked in and I walked up to the counter. We're doing the business part and all this stuff. And I just looked at him. I was like, hey, man, um, I feel like I'm supposed to ask you if I, if I could pray for you today. And this guy's eyes lit up like crazy. It's like, here's what he asked me. Are, are you a brother? He's like, yes. He goes, oh. So there was a lady working with him as well. He goes, we're, we're, we're Christ followers. He said, and today's a really hard day. Really hard day. Like we're, He said, we've had angry people in here. Like, if you see what I'm driving to New Orleans, I went in asking for like a Toyota Camry, Okay. And uh, I just want a little car to get good gas mileage to get back and forth. Um, nothing fancy. And uh, I showed up and I look and I'm like, well, it's not going to be a Toyota Camry because there's like three cars left in the parking lot. And one was like a Suburban. One was a 15-passenger van. Um, and then there was a Toyota Tacoma. And I'm like, well, why, why has it been a rough day? Well, you know, cars have been out and people didn't return them when they were supposed to. He's like, I don't even have your car. You mind driving, you know, this pickup truck? I'm like, it's fine, man. Like, and I got in, and I was like, it's more than fine. I like this better than the, the camera I was going to be driving, so it worked out great. But I had the opportunity just to pray with them. 
right, Lord, but just, I mean, it's a little thing. Look, little thing. But I lean on my own understanding. I talk myself, I talk myself out of faithfulness all the time. But when you lean on somebody else's understanding, when you lean on the Spirit, because you know what the Spirit knows that you don't know? The Spirit knows who needs to be prayed over that day. The Spirit knows when somebody is going to say yes to Jesus and that you just might be the very next person to go to him and you have the honor of your life being able to say, I, this, is going to sound, this might sound weird to you, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you. I just wanted to ask you if you know him. And sometimes you're going to do that and the Spirit knows who is ready. Sometimes somebody's going to say, would you show me how? Lean not on your own understanding. For years and years and years as a student pastor, when I would take students on the mission field for short-term mission trips, um, here's what, night one, whenever we'd get where we're going, we'd get there, we'd all huddle up, and you guys may remember this, and one of the things that I would say to our students is, I want you to practice listening to the Holy Spirit this week. I'd say this is going to sound silly, but there are going to be times throughout the week when we're doing whatever it is we're doing, we may get to a crossroads, even in a subdivision, be like, should we go this way or should we go that way? So guys, I want us to get in the habit of praying and asking God, should we do this or should we do that? And let's get in the habit of asking God and expecting Him to talk to us. Because what we practice on the mission field becomes real in our life. Don't you want to have a relationship that is so conversational with the Lord that you talk to Him day in and day out, moment by moment? Lord, what do you think about this? Don't do that when we lean on our own understanding. So lean on, lean not on your own understanding. K is for key. K is for key. The key is the order of this. K is the key is the order. You cannot lean on, not on your own understanding until you first recognize that without me, you can do nothing. So that's just a reminder, day by day, day by day, I got to go back to, without me, you can do nothing. So this morning, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you, because I recognize that I have no special power in and of myself, except for you live and dwell in me, and I am a temple for your work and your fruit today. Without you, I can do nothing. S in the final letter is for step. We walk by the Spirit. Watch me. Walking by the Spirit is what we do. Watch. This is so key. Walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by our flesh. You see it? Why do I choose the desires of the flesh in my life? Because the desires of the flesh are stronger. Walking by the Spirit means we walk in step with Him and we will, watch, this should encourage you to no end. You will walk by the Spirit as you see the Spirit's desires stronger in your life than the desires of your flesh. It takes time to develop this. It takes faithfulness in your life to develop this. It takes some prayer. It takes some calloused knees to develop this so that we see the desires of the Spirit to do what? Man, just to open my Bible and to spend time with the Lord today. Why? Because my desire is to, is to sleep in. 
Where my desire is, I bet I got to get it on these emails because I'm so behind. But I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give in to the desire of the Spirit. The more I give in to the desire of the Spirit, the more I see myself walking by the Spirit. As the desires of the Spirit grow stronger in my life, the desires of the flesh grow weaker. The new birth or the regeneration that we spoke of two weeks ago is the coming in our life, coming to our life of the Holy Spirit to create a whole new business of desires, of loves, and longings. And when these desires that the Holy Spirit is birthing in you are stronger than the opposing desires of the flesh, then we are walking by the Spirit. Because we always walk according to our strongest desires. So what's the key to walking in the Spirit? It's all of these things. It's following the prompting of the Spirit in our life. It's depending on Jesus. It's following, it's, it's listening to Him and going where He says go and speaking up when He says speak and praying when He says pray and being quiet when He says be quiet. The more we do that, the more our appetite for righteousness is developed and the more our appetite is lessened for self-righteousness the more appetite for carnal living is, is, is crushed. The way we get in is the way we go on. The way we go on, we, we depend on him. The way we got in was by depending on him. So what does it mean? It means we, we constantly look to him. And I, I cannot say this better than one of the greatest songs that has ever been written. Do you remember this? The things of earth will grow strangely dim. Yeah. Why will they grow strangely dim? Consistently. We're turning our eyes to Jesus. Hey, you want to sing that with me? Do this with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So, Father. You got a captive room full of people here. And many of us are desperate for the things of earth that grow strangely dim. And our confession this morning, Father, is that many of the things of earth are not strangely dim. They hold a lure. Many of us keep finding that we, we, we pick up our shovels and we go to dig out cisterns for ourselves that are broken and hollow and hold nothing good for us. So Jesus, I just pray that you would remind us day by day to turn our eyes upon you that we may trust you and walk by your spirit. May your people be encouraged this morning, Father as we have learned, and may we pursue you more faithfully this week and hear the tender call of your spirit in our lives. In the good and the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing?